0: I should have said who I was. I am David Adams. I'm a member of this church and uh, uh, part of uh, what the church seeks to do in the city of Norwich in many other ways and indeed in the world as well. We're in a a series which is based on the Sermon of the Mount. We've already had a number of Sundays looking at uh, the Sermon of the Mount. Can I just say this? Because one of the things that whenever I come to the Sermon of the Mount... Uh, It is the words uh, that always challenge me. They're not, in a sense, the words that Jesus spoke, but they're the words which uh, Matthew gives us for the context. He says in verse 1 that Jesus, seeing the multitude, went up on the mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth. And there's that whole sense for me of those people, those disciples, those who are really following him, who said, we're going to give up our fishing, we're going to give up tax collecting, we're going to give up all these distractions in our life, and we're going to follow him. And if that means going up a mountain, we'll go up a mountain. It's rather like in Luke chapter 5. We read this yesterday in a reading that we were reading, when Jesus said to Peter, Uh, when he had fished all night and caught nothing, he said to Peter, go out into the deep. Go somewhere, go where I tell you, because where I tell you to go, you will receive blessing. And this whole sense of uh, the disciples, those who were earnestly seeking his truth, going up the mountain with him to hear words of life, which ultimately became the seeds in their life, which transformed the world. Now, I want to ask you a question, those of you who are here. I can't see you at home, but I'm going to trust you in this. If you are different today than how you were last Sunday, will you please put your hand up? Well, some of you are. Some of you are not sure. I want to say to you this morning that all of us, as Christian men and women, if we're following Jesus, we should be different every day. Because every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Call me old-fashioned? Well, I don't mind. I've been called many other things. It's much worse than that. But the journey with Jesus is a journey of going up the mountain, going into the deep, of being changed and Transformed. And what our world is desperate to see is people who have taken this word of God, the word that we've just sung about, settled in heaven, and saying it means this to me and therefore I am different. And my heart's desire this morning as we come to the passage that has been given to me is to leave this building and to face this week and maybe the rest of your life looking, yes, at prayer in a different way than you've ever prayed before. Because the passage I've been given is the Lord's Prayer. And probably next to Psalm 23 and John 3.16 is probably the most well-known passage of Scripture. But I want to say to you this morning, as I've read and studied over many years concerning this passage, I come to believe that it's the most misunderstood passage of Scripture. Because we forget not only the context... But we forget what was in the heart of Jesus when he shared these words. So I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 6. Last week, Alan shared the verses around here. And when you give alms, when you pray, and when you fast. And uh, in the middle of that is where Jesus pauses, it seems, and shares with them how they should pray. Verse 7. I think it should be coming up, yes. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are our debtors. And do not lead us, Lord, into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Father, we thank you for your word as we come now, Lord, to ponder upon it, to seek, to understand the heart of Jesus within it. Open our hearts. Break our traditions. Help us to see something that we've not seen before, that our prayers may be more effective than they've ever been before as we travel this journey with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Several things I want to say to you. There are three main points, but there's several other things. You know, most of you know me. My introductions can be long. Uh, I do know there's a picnic in the park at 12 o'clock. I hope to be finished by then. No, I truly will be finished by then. Okay? When uh, the section begins, when Jesus says that we should go into a room on our own to pray, which is what uh, uh, Alan shared last week, what Jesus, I believe, is trying to encourage us to be is to be totally free in our praying with no format, no no set ideas, just to go into his presence and to be totally ourselves. And in that process, to release ourselves from anything that would be self-seeking. You'll understand that more in a moment or two. And I truly do believe with all my heart, increasingly as I get older, that when we learn to pray effectively in our private room where we're on our own and open before God, I truly do believe that our prayers together, whether it be in our homes, with our families, with our wives, or with our, our friends and neighbors, in contact groups or in church, our prayers are seasoned with something far more deep and effective than what we've done before. And so I'm crying out with my heart. I'm pleading with you as I'm also looking into my own heart and saying, let not our prayers be the same from this Sunday, because we've looked into the Word of God. Am I happy with my prayer life? Certainly not. I'm not happy with the way that my prayers are offered to God. And I think, probably, if you were to be really honest, you would say the same things. I read a statistic yesterday in a Bible reading that Sandra and I were doing, a commentary on the Bible reading, which absolutely shocked me. And apparently, research has shown that 90% of couples, be they married or cohabiting, do not pray together, even though they are Christians. 90%! I couldn't believe it. Let me say to you, those here and those who are on here, husbands and wives, pray together. And if you don't know what to pray, I've had husbands come to me because I've shared that point before and said, but I don't know what to pray with my wife. That's been said to me. Start with the Lord's Prayer in the manner that Jesus taught it to his disciples. Start there and see where God takes you in the power of his Holy Spirit. Because, and this is so important, dear friends, the most powerful praying unity in the world, in my understanding of Scripture, is a husband and wife. Why? Because they are one in flesh, and they are one in spirit, and when they agree together in prayer, heaven is moved. Well, I'm getting excited, and I'm only in the introduction. Let me go back here. Folks, we've missed so much of what the Bible says. We've been satisfied with such a low level within the context of what God says here. So I want to give you, in a, as brief a time I can, a new view on the, on the Lord's Prayer. It's not wrong to pray it in rote, uh, and I, I, I'm sad that we don't say the Lord's Prayer more often in church, but I'm even sadder that we don't pray it in the way in which Jesus taught it to his disciples. There is an astronomical term uh, which I learned uh, a few years ago uh, from somebody who was uh, uh, sharing truth on the Lord's Prayer. It's called parallax. Now, I'm no expert, I'm not a scientist, but a parallax is apparently an astronomical term so that it indicates the difference of view when you're on the Earth looking through a telescope and looking at the stars and the planets and all that sort of thing. You get a view of what they're like. But if, and I've never done this, you go up in a satellite or in a rocket and you view the stars and the planets from that view, it looks totally different. And in one sense, it's a great illustration of what we have come to understand about the Lord's Prayer, not seeing it from the view of the way and the manner in which Jesus taught it. So you might say, well, gosh, I don't know if I'm ready for this. I can understand it. When I first heard it, I thought, whoa, this is a little bit too much for me. But the more I've studied it, the more I see it clearly in God's Word. Just uh, two or three weeks ago, let me give you another illustration, just to get this fixed in your mind, whether you're here or at home, that Sandra and I were given a gift from God of a holiday up in the Peak District at a very uh, challenging time in our life. Let's put it like that. To stuff that was going on at home uh, in alterations and that. And uh, we chose one day, some of you will have been there, I'm sure, to go uh, to Matlock Bath and go up on the cable car to the heights of Abraham. I don't know if anybody's ever done that. One or two people are nodding here. Well, first of all, because of the demands of my body, which I still have not uh, yet been able to overcome in the power of God, I needed a coffee. And I have to confess to you, it was a coffee and a cake. So it was 11 o'clock in the morning, and we sat down in Matlock Bath, and we had a coffee and a cake. Now, uh, I think I've got the road name correctly. It is the A6 that goes through Matlock and Matlock Bath. Boy, oh boy, we sat in this cafe. It was great. The coffee was good. Cake was delicious. But the noise of the traffic was uh, something else. Lorries, buses, hooting, all sorts of things. We then went up in the cable car, Boy, oh boy, looking down at where I knew the cafe was, all I could see was the wonderful canopy of green trees, a little glint of the river that was running through there. My view was totally different from up there, swinging on the cable car, to where it was down there. Friends, I I, I, I say that because I want to get it in your minds this morning. If you remember nothing else, that sometimes we have to look at Scripture and look at it differently from how we've looked at it before. And I've certainly prayed, and we've already asked the Holy Spirit to be here, that you will receive that revelation this morning. The first major thing I want to say is this. The manner in which Jesus shared this with his disciples. The word manner... In the Greek, there means pray in this way, in this manner. And it's a much bigger word than just uh, using the words that we, uh, we know as the Lord's Prayer. It's to do with the total experience of what it means to be engaged with God in prayer. And of course, the, the other place in Scripture where we find the Lord's Prayer is Luke 11. And that gives us another little indication, if you like, confirmation of this. Because in Luke 11, it tells us that Jesus was praying and his disciples were with him. And after he finishes praying, they go to him and say, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, that's always bothered me until I came to see these things at a slightly more wider view, I think. Do you think, and I'm not asking you to answer this question, was Jesus praying like this? Was he praying on his knees? Did he have his head down? Well, that would be not much different from all the Pharisees and Sadducees that the disciples had grown up with over many, many years. So I have to ask myself the question, what was it that they saw or heard or experienced or felt when they watched Jesus praying that they said to him, hey, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And the key to it is digging a little deeper within the Word of God. Because what we discover uh, within the Word of God is that the phrases that Jesus used, are. In a, I'm not going to get technical here, I'm not a, a, a language expert by any means, I just managed Norfolk, that's about as far as I can go, but uh, within the context of studying and reading others who are much more qualified than me, the statements in the Lord's Prayer are what we call imperative statements. In fact, it's even harder than that. They are aorist imperative statements. In fact, it's even worse than that that they're said in the second or the third person. In other words, they are powerful, declaring, affirming statements concerning who God is and what we want him to do in our lives. Now, just think about that. Without going into the statements, which we will look at very, very briefly in a moment or two, think about that. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Is that really affirming? Is that really declaring? Is that really saying to God... Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. And forever, O Lord, yours is the kingdom that is coming. Forever, O Lord, however many days you will give me, I'm going to live for you, believe in you, trust in your promises, look to you, be empowered by your Holy Spirit. I want to suggest to you that maybe it's a parallax view. It's a different view. Now, I'm not going to say to you how you must look at it, But I want to say to you that I do believe, and certainly since I've started to apply these things in my life with much more attention over the last few years, we have seen answers to prayer, and God has opened up doors and done things that I have never seen or experienced before. Just this last Thursday morning, I was in a prayer meeting. Some of you know I'm involved with World Mission. There were over 40 countries involved in this prayer meeting on Zoom. And the things that I heard that God was doing in the Philippines, in Africa, in Mozambique, in Thailand, in India, and at many other countries that were represented there, are the result, not of my prayers, but of the collective prayers of people who are saying, God, we're not satisfied with where we're at. We have a world that is crying out in need. We have people who are in desperate situations. We need to see you in power. And we declare that in Jesus, because of the cross and the resurrection and the Holy Spirit, we can expect to see this evidence of your kingdom here on earth. And so the way that we pray affects all that because it determines things in our hearts and, I can only speak for myself, determines the way that I seek to live. Third thing I want to say before we move into these phrases very quickly is this. All the pronouns in this prayer are our or us. It's not about me, about me praying for myself. It's for a world that Jesus came to die for. It's about the other. And I want to say to you that within the context of whether you choose to pray, whether at home or church or work or for whoever you're praying or whatever it might be, it's always in the context of God not wanting to bless uh, you, not wanting God to bless you specifically, but for the blessing of God to fall upon somebody else. Do you know what I've certainly discovered? In God's grace. When our eyes are in passionate prayer for the other, God blesses us anyway. Thank you. You know, I think sometimes we've forgotten some words of Jesus also later in here. Powerful words. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, And all these things will be given to you. But I have to say for myself, for too many years, and maybe it's true for you, I've sought those things and put the seeking of the kingdom of God at a second or a third or even a lower place. There are seven statements in the Lord's Prayer. And all of these, uh, bar one is in the Aorist, Imperative second or third person. They are proclamations of what we believe of God and what we want to see in the world. They're said in a manner and a way which is like pleading to God, crying out to God, dissatisfied with where we are, dissatisfied with the spiritual state of our nation, dissatisfied with the fact that uh, churches are falling in numbers in so many places, dissatisfied that people are dying without knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And only one of those statements is a request to God. Let me go very quickly through uh, them. I'm not going to ponder on them. Each one is worthy of a sermon in itself. But we begin. And this is a struggle for some people. Our Father, who art in heaven. That's not a proclamation, that's a statement of who we are recognizing is the aim of our prayer. Come on, let's. We, we've all heard it before, haven't we? It's not just our Father. It's our dad. It's Abba, father. He's the one who loves us. He's the one who wants a deep personal relationship with us. Met with people and prayed with people over the years who did not neither know their father or their earthly father or had difficult relationships, and sometimes we have to pray through that. But the bottom line is our father, dad in heaven. Sandra and I listened, it's recommended to us just on Friday to the uh, I recommend it to you. The, uh, on the YouTube, the testimony of Dr. Helen Roosevelt, Rose, who was a, a missionary in the Congos in the height of the civil war that went on there. And she was once imprisoned in, in a very, very difficult place. and uh, amongst the others in the prison were other missionaries. Some of them were uh, American. And she overheard. Uh, These American husbands and wives sometimes talking to one another and they'd say, very American of course, honey, honey, what are we going to do? A term of great endearment. She's single, she was on her own and she laid on her bed and in her praying to God she said, honey, now you might think that's irreverent but the testimony went on to say all the other people had restless nights But she slept soundly that night because she invited her honey, Jesus, her father, into that situation. Papa, Daddy, you know me better than I know myself. Touch my heart. Heaven is our destiny. I don't want to say any more about that, but I'd love to. So the first point I want to say to you is this and challenge you with as I challenge myself is the manner in which you pray in accordance with what Jesus showed and spoke or is it very quiet, almost passive, without passion or energy, in truth, even belief in that God might answer our cry. And then we come to what I call the might of the prayer. And I'm going to move through this exceedingly quickly. If you want to know more about it, ask me. But I think this is so exciting because the prayer goes on there. Hallowed be your name. The word hallowed is so often misunderstood. The word hallowed means holy. He is a holy God. But it also means to be treasured, that it's precious, that it's to be revered. The fact that we can even have his name upon our lips is a mark of his grace and not be slain because of the sin that is in our lives. Hallowed is a powerful word. So it's our Father in heaven, hallowed, amazing, the name of Jesus in our hearts and on our lips. And when it says his name, some of you will know this, and again, uh, worthy of much more than I can give this morning, The main name that we know of God is Jehovah Adonai, the Lord God. But remember this, dear friends, that when the word Lord coming out of the Greek into the English, we use the fact that at the heart of what the Greek word means is, you're my master. You're my controller. You're the one who I am servant to. Now you put that into the aspect, I put it, into the aspect of the times when I know I have disobeyed God. I have not lived as he is my master. But when I pray this prayer, and I often use this prayer in in the night when I'm awake, I, I move through those wonderful other names of God because they are a reminder of who we are and what we can receive from him. Because we also have what is known as the eight main compound names of God. You can look these up yourself. I can let this be made available in the notices if, if people so want. We know he is Jehovah Jireh, our provider, Genesis 22:14. 14. We know he is Jehovah Nisai, the Lord, our banner. What does that mean? When you leave your home, his banner over you is there. When you're out doing the things that you, you're doing in your life, he's there covering you. When, when, when you disappoint him, when you disappoint yourselves, Jehovah Nisai is still there covering you. And Jehovah Nisai leads you back home and leads you back to your room where you fall before him and say, God, I did my best. I failed you many times. Forgive me. And fill me again with your Holy Spirit. Oh, I'm going to... He's Jehovah Makedesh, which is another wonderful... um, Hebrew word. He's the Lord who sanctifies us. Leviticus 20 and verses 78. He's on a journey with you. The only thing I can ever find in scripture about predestination that satisfies my soul is what Paul says in Romans 8 when it says, you are predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Hey, God wants me to be like Jesus. That's the work of sanctification. He is Jehovah Rapha, or Rufay as some people pronounce it, the Lord who heals, Exodus 15, to 26. He's Jehovah Ra, or Roe, <coughs> who is the Lord is my shepherd. And often in the middle of the night, I'm, I'm giving you my personal testimony, when I get to that point, I find myself reciting the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want... He will lead me. He will restore me. Even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, He is there. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints your head with oil and my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And of course, that's exactly what your neighbors see, when my neighbors see, when I enter into my Monday mornings and the rest of the week. Somebody who's living under the truth of the Lord is my shepherd. Sorry if that made you feel bad. It makes me feel bad because I fail so often. But the promise is there. He is Jehovah Shalom, the Lord my peace, Judges 6.24. Shalom alakem is another Hebrew expression, much more than peace. It's peace, well-being, contentment, rest, Prosperity in the fullest sense of that word. It contains everything that God wants to give us. He's Jehovah Shammah, which you get from Ezekiel 48 and 35. The Lord who is there. No place where you go and I go is the Lord not present. He's Jehovah Tiskenu, the Lord our righteousness. Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6. What does that mean? It means He is the Lord who covers us, imputes to us the robe of righteousness, which is Jesus. So that when we come before Him, He accepts us. He's not looking saying, Oh, you disappointed me, you can't come, don't want to speak to you, have a bad day. No, no, no. We're covered in the robe of righteousness. Friends, Sometimes when I get stuck in that area, I might be praying for 20 minutes, just praying through the names of God. And I want to encourage you again to have this parallax view. Your prayer life can be sharpened up, made more exciting, made more passionate, and you will see more answers, I guarantee you, because of the promise of God's Word when we pray in accordance to the way that He truly taught His disciples to pray. Your kingdom come, let me say to you this, that within the context when you understand Scripture, a truth forgotten by too many of us for too long, we are in a spiritual battle. God wants us to be winners. He wants his kingdom to be seen on earth. The devil has exactly the opposite view. He wants to defeat us, depress us, put our heads down, make us feel oppressed. But the statement, thy kingdom come, is a declaration of war. It's a militant terminology. It's saying, Lord, your kingdom is the one that will last forever. And it's your kingdom that I'm going to live for today. And we can go through all the teachings of Jesus and what he basically talked about, not only through the Sermon on the Mount, but in any other places, is the truths and the principles of the kingdom. Your will be done Another statement that decrees that we want to see God's will here on earth as it's been declared in heaven. One of the things I was listening to just recently, just this week in fact, was a reminder of the fact that wherever you are, I don't know where all of you work, or some of you will be at home and retired like me, but wherever I am, in whatever place I am in, whether it be in an office, a train, a shop, wherever it might be, I am an ambassador for Christ. What does an ambassador do? He lives out the culture of his country. So where you are and where I am, wherever we go, we're to live out the culture of the kingdom of God. But folks, I have to put my hands up and say, sorry, Lord, too often I'm living in the culture of my nation here and not the culture of your kingdom. But the declaration, the imperative here is, Lord, your will be done. Your purposes happen. I want to see people delivered. I want them to see them set free. Why? Because his will, the words of Jesus, he came to set the captive free. And yet so many of us live in bondage. Give us this day our daily bread not for ourselves. Remember, all of this is not just for us, it's for the benefit of those who will come in to see and recognize and move into his kingdom as a result of it. Within the context of this phrase I was reading just this week, that within the context of the Greek culture, they, they didn't really look for daily bread in that sense. And when you look behind this phrase that Jesus used, it doesn't just mean Lord bread for today, although it can mean that. It means, Lord, move in my life and move in circumstances that I might be absolutely assured that whatever happens in the future, you have already prepared a way for me. You have already prepared a way for me. It's not restricted to a daily experience. And remember in Luke chapter 11, where Jesus uh, shares the Lord's Prayer in the same manner The bit underneath there talks about the friend who went to the other friend at midnight to ask for bread because he'd had a visitor come and he'd got no food in the house. It's always for the other. He wasn't asking for himself, he was asking for his friend that came. So we're praying for the provision of much bigger things than just our own needs. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are debtors. I, I could go a long way with that one, but you know that unforgiveness in your heart in any situation hinders the blessing of God. If you cannot pray for those, who, whoever who they are, whatever they've done to you, however deep and wounded you may be, if you cannot pray blessings on that person in the name of Jesus, you, you are putting a ceiling on how much God can bless you. I recommend again to you the testimony of Helen Rosavira who prayed forgiveness and blessing over those that raped her, tortured her, and for just being a Christian missionary doctor in the Congo. The only request amongst all these imperatives is the next phrase, Lord, do not lead us into temptation." And it has to come from a submitted heart. It has to come from people who know their weaknesses. Do you know what your weaknesses are? What your weaknesses are within the spiritual journey you're on? Your weaknesses within the lusts of the flesh, be it food or sex or drugs or anything else? Whatever your weaknesses are, this is the only request. Lord, leave me not into temptation asking God to keep you pure so you can be an effective and powerful channel for him but then the final imperative goes on with again another statement but deliver us from the evil one Lord, you are the victory. You are the victory on the cross. You are the one who broke death. You are the one who came through out of the tomb. You are the victor. Deliver us from the one who is the evil one. Folks, I say to you again, and so many people forget this. We are in a spiritual battle. We are in a spiritual battle. Our nation is in a spiritual battle. You know, and I say this quite openly and know it will be recorded, I personally think that very some of the things that we hear that are decided even within context of churches, be they local or nationally, prove to us that we are in a spiritual battle and the enemy's pressure upon us because of the culture that is around us forces us to do the things that they say rather than the things that God declares are his word forever. Jesus has won the battle. And it's my choice day by day and your choice day by day. Who do I line up with? The devil? Remember Jesus said, the devil is the world, the flesh, and the devil. Or do I line up with his truth and say, God, I'm going to trust you in all these things. The manner of That's the might of the power. And as I said, every one of those points is worthy of at least another sermon, each one of them. But what I want to get into your minds and hearts is this. Whatever situations you're facing in your life, whatever situations you're facing in your family, whatever situations we face within NCBC, whatever situations we place within our nation, whatever situations we face around our world, we are not going to see the move of God that many of us believe are declared in His words until we have to take up the battle and start to pray effectively in the manner in which Jesus taught His disciples. the final thing I say to you is this. In it all, having said all I've said, and I know I can run on, there is a mystery. There's a part of it where I come to and say, God, I really don't understand your ways. I read your truth. I know your word is settled in heaven. I know you have a calling on every heart that is totally surrendered to you. But in the end, There is a mystery in life in the manner that I cannot understand or even seek to explain to others. And quite frankly, the older I get, the more nervous I get about saying, well, I think it could be this, because God is still a mystery. But this proves to me that I can trust him. Because nothing he does is other than motivated by his love for mankind. I may ask the question, why or what for or how can God be in it? But in the end, there is a mystery. So, my friends, I just say to you this morning what manner do you pray? Do you really pray in the manner that Jesus taught his disciples? Do you really understand those powerful, affirming, declaring statements for you individually? Because if you don't understand it individually, and if you and I are not praying that within our own prayer closets, we will never get effective prayer in the life of this church or any other church. We have to be people who are declaring, believing, looking, And praying passionately for the rule and reign of Jesus in our world. We are to declare that. We are to live and learn from how the disciples prayed. You will need to read the book of Acts to see how they prayed for boldness. They prayed for Peter to be released from prison. I don't believe it was quiet, I believe it was noisy. God, release him! He's your servant, he's the head of the church. That's what the disciples wanted to see. And this, I put it as a question. Is this what we want? Chris, can you come back ready to sing that song again, please? Friends, we're going to pray. I don't mind if Chris just plays quietly in the background. But I'm going to pray a prayer. based on what I've shared with you this morning. Because for me, I can't speak for you. This is reality. This is what God has called his church and his people to. If you feel you'd like to, and even at home I say to you, if you'd like to stand, then stand. I cannot, I cannot believe that we can pray passionately with an indifferent sense of sitting there quietly in our seats. But I'm going to have my eyes closed. I'm not criticizing anybody, judging anybody. That's not for me to do in anything. But let's pray in the manner that Jesus taught his disciples this morning, shall we? I invite you. If you want to stand, stand. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Thank you that you are our Father who is in heaven. Thank you that you have a love which is everlasting. Thank you that your love covers the world. Thank you that you loved the world so much that you sent your son Jesus to be our Lord and our Savior and our King. We hallow your name. We praise you. You are Lord God Almighty. Your plan for your world will happen. It will come to a conclusion and the books will be opened and we praise you because you are a righteous judge. You know all things. We thank you that your names reveal to us that you care for every detail of our lives from the moment that we open our eyes in the morning to the moment we close them at night and even when we are asleep you are Jehovah Nisai our banner that covers us, you are Jehovah Rufe, the one who heals us, you are Jehovah Raha, the shepherd that leads us and restores us and makes us able to grasp every day and to live it for you to be ambassadors of effective in your world Lord we pray your kingdom come your will be done we pray it Lord upon Sean Hunt thank you for what you've done thank you for keeping him we pray for wholeness in his body we pray Lord for wholeness in his mind we pray for wholeness in his spirit touch him Lord raise him up to be a trophy of grace and of witness to you we pray Lord for those that have celebrated wedding anniversaries that we've talked about for those that are knowing and the marriage that took place here. Lord, may they have you at the center of their marriages. May their love for you and their love for one another take them to their knees in fervent prayer that your kingdom may be upon all our marriages, upon all our families, and upon all our homes. Lord, you've declared that marriage is precious before you. And we pray for any marriage that is struggling. Lord, we ask for a turning around. We pray that the enemy would not have the last word and that you will bring peace and reconciliation in every marriage, in every relationship that is struggling at this particular time. Lord, you said, You said it, Lord, seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all these things will be added to us. Lord, let us get a looser hold on the things of this world, a looser hold on our homes, a looser hold on our finances, a looser hold even on our families, that we may be free to follow you and to be obedient to you, to walk in the path that you have preordained for us from that moment we were conceived in our mother's wombs. And Lord God, I can't pray for the others, Lord, but I can pray for myself, and I think they will pray also for themselves. Forgive me again, Lord, for anything that's been in my life that has put shame upon you and my Christian witness. Lord, even within the context of my sharing this morning, forgive me if there's been anything of my flesh or thinking within it. Lord, I long for the purity of your word that will change our lives. And we'll bring your kingdom to power in our city. And we pray, Lord, for all those in authority over us. We pray, Lord God, for our government, for wisdom, for Boris Johnson. Lord, we may not be blue, we may be red, or we may be green, but you have placed him in power. And we pray for your anointing upon him. We pray, Lord God, against this clause that is coming up in Parliament tomorrow, which will declare that abortion can take place at any time in pregnancy even up to termination for no reason whatsoever but just because that's what the lady wants lord we pray against that going on our fat shoots books lord to its murder within the context of your word and i pray against it and ask that there will be mps that will rise up in indignation that will rise up and speak the truth of your word in parliament that this would not be established On our law books or go any farther father deliver us from the evil one we know he's got his guns out we know Lord that he's shooting everything that he possibly can to turn people away from the living God to let people believe that there is no God yet your word says so clearly Lord the fool says in his heart that there is no God Lord, we pray for a visitation of your spirit. We pray for renewal. We pray for revival in the name of Jesus, that our nation may again experience something that was there in the time of the Wesleys, something that was there in the Hebridean revival, something that was there in the Lowestoft revival. We pray, Lord God, that this church, this building in which we stand this morning, that was filled packed overflowing several times a day because of people wanting to know jesus back in the 1920s lord i proclaim i want to see that again in the name of jesus because your kingdom is what it's all about and lord as we offer all this to you and so much more that we could pray for we want to say yours is the kingdom yours is the power and yours is the glory why lord god because we're going to sing it to you again Forever, forever, your word is settled in heaven. Lord, anoint this song as we sing it here. Anoint this song in our homes. May it be louder than the masks that are over our faces, because our confidence is in you. You are our rock, the lover of our souls. God, we pour out ourselves before you. Your kingdom come in Jesus' name.